While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. That was City Councilor at Large Shane Burgo, um, I think has made a lot of headlines in his first term as City Councilor. A lot of those headlines have been written by me, uh, so, um, but I think he's he's earned them because uh, he's doing a lot of good stuff and at least a lot of stuff that warrants conversation, like a rent stabilization ballot question. So I think there, you know, I think there's been, I've had some discussion about this on here on South Coast tonight with the audience. I know some people have had some um propose, you know, had some arguments for and against, you know, just straight rent control. And I think uh it was important for him to come on and I think make that distinction too between rent control and rent stabilization whereas, you know, rent con- he's not having that hard cap like it can't be this x amount of dollars it's going to be a percentage increase. And I think that's really I think that's an important distinction. I think it's something that's definitely going to be talked a lot about in the upcoming uh, city elections. The upcoming city elections in um, in uh, in New Bedford, uh, you know, aside from. And I think it's a, it might be a question that gets more people to the to the polls. You hope it's a question that gets more people to the polls because there definitely needs to be more people there. Um, so I think there there might be a lot going on. You know, I, I, I might be a lot going on that might drive turnout to be a little bit better. I think a lot of that is going to depend on whether or not there's a competitive met, uh, mayor's race, which I'm leaning towards. Um. Which I'm leaning towards, like, probably not, but I, you know, you hope there is. Uh, and um, I think this ballot referendum will actually drive people out, uh, will actually drive people to turn out. I think it actually will get people to the polls to to vote on it. Uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Uh, also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Got another app chat uh, from a listener. It says, I think this is a great idea. I, 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 you know what? I think it's definitely a conversation that's worth having. Um, you know, rents are getting to a situation where they are becoming, um, in New Bedford and really any, uh, everywhere, pretty untenable. Uh, pretty untenable so you're you know we're looking at i think we're looking you know i think we're looking at you know how high the rents are getting in new bedford and other places and 
the you know how raise, wages haven't been you know rising at a at a commensurate rate, and we're seeing a lot of these housing issues uh, seeming are seemingly um, intractable, and so uh, I think having this conversation is going to be really interesting, and I, I think this is. You know, it's sort of, you know, this ballot question is a very low risk pol political proposition because it is just a temperature check. If the people of New Bedford do not want rent control, they can just simply say no. If they do, they can say yes, and it's non-binding. It's still a conversation that needs to be had. So if you're open to the idea, if you think that there should be, or not rent control, but rent stabilization, you know, which is... Basically, like you said, a uh, caps percentage increase. So rent control is saying like rent can only be $1,000, right? And it can't be any more than that. That's rent control. That's not what he's proposing. He's a, he'd say he'd be, he said he'd be against that. He's a, uh, he is proposing rent stabilization. So that's going to, that's going to stable, that's going to ensure that rent is a... That would ensure rent is not raised beyond a certain percentage increase per lease year. This is a conversation that's been happening with uh, Michelle Wu up in Boston. She's been having that conversation with the um, with the uh, uh, with the Boston City Council. They've been working on a rent uh, stabilization package. There are certain exemptions in Wu's package. I believe, like. Um, multifamily housing isn't covered in that. I think Wu's rent control pa uh, rent uh, stabilization package is more aimed towards the um, institutional organizations. And you know, when you talk, when we heard from Councilor Burgo, what he was saying is basically that that's what he's focusing on as well is the institutional. Um, is the institutional, uh, uh, I think, institutional organizations. Well, what he said was basically that he's talking with more of the mom and pop pe people, and he's more concerned with them than the big institutional um, landlords. So 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hey, good evening, Marcus. How you doing? Good, good. Um so I was talking to a uh, friend of mine who owns some apartment buildings up in the Boston area. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I call him a, a kind of a mid-sized landlord. You know, he's, it's his career, pretty successful. But he was saying that the number one cost after property tax was, and this is his Boston, so it's the MWRA, was the water and sewer bill. Mm -hmm. And so in New Bedford, that's, going to start to become more the norm, right, where New Bedford's going to have to increase sewer costs. So the, if you could gauge uh, the the stabilization formula around what the city um, can assess for the tax levy and the uh, the water and sewer bill, and, and, and include other things, you know, lesser ones like utilities and so forth. But, I mean, if you... As long as you make sure that the city's got a little bit of best in interest, and if you tax too much, you're going to raise rents. Mm -hmm. like, do you follow my logic there that 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 needs to be part of the formula for any stabilization plan? The city passes a, a tax increase, 
the tenants are going to pay it. So, yeah, I think, um, I, I, you know, I, I think I think that's fair. I mean, the thing is, is right now uh, you sort of feel like these rent increases may be. I think a stabilization too would bring it to a position where, okay, you actually do have to consider these things because at this juncture it could just be these rent these rent uh, hikes um, by a lot of landlords could just be arbitrary, you know, like oh well, well they are market yeah market driven, which is which is brutal if you're a uh, if you're a renter. Yes. I mean that. So they the the uh, my friend who was telling me about the expenses also said it was the best um, couple of year period since he's been in the business for of course. Rent increases and, and low and low um, uh, vacancies. So, I mean, he's, he's doing quite well. So, but you know, he's got a lot of money into it. He works hard at it. It's, it's a business. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a tough thing. And I, but more housing always is the answer because it, yeah, it reduces the demand and it, and it forces the junk properties to either be in rehab or, uh, or you know, um, or lowering their rents. And if, unfortunately, if you restrict landlords' um, ability to develop, you're not going to get new development. That's kind yeah. of the that's kind of the the, the the other side of the sword, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's still develop like. Just because rents might be stabilized doesn't mean there it's there isn't uh, you know it's not going to be a profitable venture for developers though you I, know I think yeah I think you have to make sure it's still profitable you, have, you cannot take the incentive away so I remember in uh, in the eighties early eighties uh, Cambridge had rent control and mm -hmm. these ridiculous rents that that barely covered the that was before the MWRA assessment, but it was it, it barely covered the property taxes. So there yeah. was absolutely no maintenance being done. And right. so, who would you who would you rent those low rents to? People with big money who would maintain the apartments and fix them up. Yeah, right. I mean, it it, it completely missed the intended target of uh, you know folks that needed an affordable rent. Right. So it's it's tough. I it, I think the best thing would be to encourage more development yeah i mean like you said it is a supply and demand issue uh ultimately because and i i love yeah the idea that those those mills um you know that that, that there's a there's a fair amount of property that could be developed if the right incentives were there so um we'll, we'll see i you know i i'm not totally against stabilization plan and i, I know it's a non-binding but um ultimately i think um Incentives for developers to create new housing is is key, and it's we don't have it half as bad as a place like San Francisco, say. Right, so yeah, it, it is what it is. Anyway, hey, thanks for thanks for letting me spout, Marcus. Have a great night. Anytime, thank you. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can join me this evening. Also, take your messages on the WBSM app chat. I'm actually going to take a break uh, now, and we will be. Uh, right back. This is South Coast Tonight. Hey, welcome back. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. This is South Coast Night. You know, one of the things, uh, I'm going to have the up, uh, podcast uploaded 
soon with my conversation with Council Burgo that you'll be able to listen to. Really important stuff, proposing a ballot question for rent stabilization, um, asking city, uh, city residents whether or not they'd support a rent stabilization ordinance, which um, uh, they're, they're working on in Boston right now. So I'll have that podcast uh, uploaded. I know we had some app chat messages. We had some calls. But what I wanted to... Um, what I wanted to talk about just while we have the time and space. And I, I think I haven't really mentioned this much and listen, if you want to call in and talk about any of the local stuff, uh, if you want to talk about um, the rent stabilization or you want to talk about uh, whatever, you know, um, any of the local stuff we've been covering last week and into this week, that's fine. You can give us a call back. But one of the things I was been interested to talk about, but really haven't had the time and space for it was the um, East, pa- uh, the East Palestine train derailment where, you know, um, a, uh, you're all pretty familiar with what, uh, with what um, happened, you know, a train, a uh, Norfolk Southern train derailed. Uh, there was, I forget who said this, but they said we essentially nuked a town with the toxic chemicals that had been spilt. And, you know, frankly, it's a huge story and it should be covered. But frankly, since it was in a state like Ohio, there's been train derailments have been happening probably a lot more often than people realize before this incident. And frankly, this story should be probably covered more than it is. But because it's in Ohio, which is swing state and has a Senate seat up for re-election in 2024. I think there's been, you know, an intensified politicization uh, of it, you know, and, you know, one of the things I thought was one of the the things I thought was really interesting is like people are looking for somebody to blame um, like a specific person to blame. Oh, it was Donald Trump's fault for enacting, for repealing the ECR um, break, uh, uh, the ECR break um, regulation. Yes, it's true. But like, it's not like, it's not just his fault. I think it's also the Obama administration's fault. And it's frankly the Biden administration's fault, because I think what happened over there in Norfolk Southern was actually the result of, you know, the federal government and the, you know, the, the regulatory state essentially kowtowing to private interests over a period of decades. I think that's really what the heart of it is. And, you know, to say whether or not it's specifically Pete Buttigieg's fault, I think here's, Here's what, because there was, I guess, another Nor- Norfolk Southern derailment, right? That that happened, and it's something that's going to continue happening until, you know, they implement more better safety sta- uh, safety regulation standards. But one of the things that I think, you know, is always like, you know, is, is like, you know, one of the things that's been talked about is, oh, did Pete Buttigieg get to East Palestine fast enough, or did he care, or whatever? No, he doesn't care, but like Pete Buttigieg, it's Pete Buttigieg's fault insofar as like it's, you know, it's a very cog in, cog in the machine type of thing. The fact that, you know, 
Pete Buttigieg was tapped for Secretary of Transportation to begin with, I think demonstrated that the Biden administration really wasn't serious at all about transportation regulations. He had no qualifications for this job at all. He essentially got it as a um, as a consolation prize for bowing out of the primary and endorsing Joe Biden. I was essentially, um, you know, a, a patronage position. And on top of that, not only does Pete Buttigieg not have the experience for the job, he also worked at McKinsey, which is a major consulting firm that is often involved in a lot of union busting and deregulatory efforts, much like the union busting and deregulatory efforts that led to a derailment like Norfolk Southern. Now, is that to say like, oh, this is Biden's fault. This is all Pete Buttigieg's fault. Well, it's partly their fault, but it's also the Obama administration's fault. It's also the Trump administration's fault. But here's the thing. It was a few years ago during the Obama administration, there was some uh, more, there were train derailments that we didn't hear about because maybe they weren't as severe um, as the one that happened in East Palestine. And there was a, the Obama administration had actually said, we're going to implement new regulations on braking for trains. And so uh, toxic trains, uh, like, and trains ca- carrying hazardous materials more specifically. And so they actually sought public comment for that, right? They said, what do you guys want in these regulations? And I believe it was the... um National, um, the it's the government agency that you know uh, basically looks into National Highway and God, I forget the name of the organization. I have to look it up. But basically, what they were saying is they wanted to have these new, you know, have these ECR breaks basically implemented into. All trains that were carried not only oil, but certain types of hazardous material like the ones that included in the category, the, uh, the, 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 the hazardous material that was dumped in East Palestine by the derailment of that Norfolk Southern train. But there were successful lobbying efforts on behalf, uh, you know, on to the, to the Obama administration on behalf of the chemical lobby to fight against the ECR breaks for all of them. But what the Obama administration did is implement the new ECR breaks, um, which would have which every you know basically uh, every transportation or um, railway expert says would have actually um, would have actually helped in the East Palestine situation. They said they're going to do it just for trains that are carrying oil. And they did that for the purpose of essentially um, they did that for the purpose of essentially uh, trying to incentivize ECR breaks be implemented across the industry, right? Make that a standard here, and you hope it gets adopted, um, you know, across the industry. Well, obviously, a couple years later, Donald Trump's elected. He just repeals it, right? So not saying the Obama administration did enough to begin with, but they did something. And then the Trump administration just flat out repeals it, right? And then you get, you know, the Biden administration, which, again, 
tapped Secretary of State Pete Buttigieg for um, for a position that he's grossly underqualified for, and you get to see sort of the intractable problems with our transit system and its you know and how and not only that are at, that are basically the result of monopolization of the industry right like what's happening you know like what happened with south southwest airlines right or like what happened with norfolk southern and you you think like how can all these multi billion dollar industries you know fail at such a spectacular rate and it's because uh, you know in 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 moments where you think that they should you know have everything pretty much up to par and it's because they don't spend any money on um on any sort of safety regulations that's not really what they they think they're supposed to do they think they're it's not really even their job to get anything from point a to point b it's more to just squeeze as much money out of a particular venture as possible and the way to do that is to ensure fewer safety regulations fewer people or staff so union busting efforts which by the way biden was a part of he canceled a strike you know he basically canceled a he canceled that where uh, railway strike along with the rest of congress voted to cancel that railway strike which again could have led to if it had continued if the strike was allowed to continue could have led to better staffing on these trains so they have these poorly staffed poorly uh these poorly staffed poorly outfitted um, trains that are continuing to de derail and we're learning that these ECR brakes were actually invented by Norfolk Southern and they actually had bragged about how this was the future of train braking right these brakes that would have mattered and probably should have been implemented because right now what they essentially have are like brakes that were from the 1850s but you learned when the government had said, hey, let's start implementing them, then Norfolk Southern had totally backed off of uh, had backed off of them. Right. So the reason they did that is essentially, you know, we can only guess. But the reason they did that was essentially is not because they felt any less about that technology, but it's because they don't want to put themselves in a position where the federal government ever has to tell them that they have to incur a cost or a safety regulation um, that they don't want to do. And I think that's the position that they found themselves in with um, with the ECR breaks. That's why they're not implemented, because guess what? It cost like 300. It would have cost Norfolk Southern like 300 million dollars to implement these ECR breaks across their um, across their with their, their train fleet. That's two weeks of operating income for the entire industry. So it is, you know, essentially like penny uh, per year. So it is essentially pennies on the dollar for them. So. When we talk about all this stuff, like, you know, I, uh, all we hear about is sort of the inane, I think, like, the inane, like, the nonsense, like, well, is Pete Buttigieg going to be in East Palestine? Oh, well, Donald Trump was in East Palestine. He was there. He shook hands, and he was at a McDonald's, and he was nice to people, and he did this, he did that. This is leadership. Oh, Pete Buttigieg, look how silly he looks with his hard hat, right? But... There is no conversation around, okay, how can this be better, right? How can this be better? And, you know, we talk about everybody's, anybody that praises Donald Trump for being there doesn't talk about how he repealed a regulation that 
may not have applied to that specific train anyway because the Obama administration hadn't made it comprehensive enough to in the first place, but could have helped, right? And I think we're also in a position where, you know, I think you know, there's also something to consider about like how intensely polarized people are and why, you know, <clears throat> why we can't ever admit that like, Okay, there's a broader problem across the political spectrum. It's not like, oh, it's either Biden's fault or Trump's fault. Oh, it's actually Trump's fault because he repealed this. Okay, yes, but it's also Biden's fault too, right? Because you, and it's also Obama's fault too. Because if you have a guy like Pete Buttigieg in there, you've already signaled that you're not serious at all about making any comprehensive transportation reforms. And by the way, have we heard anything from the Department of Transportation about implementing a more comprehensive safety regulations? I, you know, have we heard anything about that? Right. I don't think we have. So I think a lot of the conversation around whether or not who should be there, who's there shaking hands with people at McDonald's or whatever. I don't think that's really important. I frankly don't think it's important whether or not the president or the Secretary of Transportation or the president shows up. I think what's important is not who's there wearing a hard hat or, or shaking hands. It's who's going to implement the necessary precautions, the necessary regulations on these industries. Who's going to hold these industries to task? Like Norfolk Southern, who basically has a monopoly on the railway industry, who's going to hold these industry? Who's going to hold these industries to task and make sure that they're implementing not only the safety regulations on their on their trains and on their um, transportation, and not only that, but is also ensuring that these that these trains are fully staffed. And that staff is taken care of in terms of getting adequate compensation, benefits, et cetera, and workplace conditions. That's the real question. It's not who's going to be there for some photo op. It's who's going to do something to ensure this isn't going to happen again. And guess what? Showing up there, that doesn't do anything. I think there's something to be said about standing in solidarity with people that you're that that voted for you, that elected you, that you're supposed to serve. I'm not saying it's completely worthless, right? You know, we all talked about, and I definitely talked about how Ted Cruz had abandoned his constituents um, during that snowstorm in Texas to go to Cabo, um, and how spineless that was. But what's more important is whether or not you're going to go forward in a way that's going to have an impact on how this, you know, uh, that's going to have an impact on whether or not this happens again. And do I have confidence that Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is going to do really anything to work towards that? No, frankly, you know, he's not the right guy for the moment. He was basically there for, for two reasons. One, because he did an incredible political favor um, to the, the current president that allowed him to get a cabinet position that, frankly, he wasn't qualified for because there really isn't a cabinet position that he may have been qualified for. I guess maybe Veterans Affairs because he served in the military. But, um, but and a guy who has spent... Most of his career, um, certainly his private sector career, 
um, working at the behest of corporations to lobby the government that will allow them to cut corners on staffing and safety regulations in order to make more money, right? So I think that's the real problem. That's the stuff we don't talk about is the monopolization of these these industries and whether or not we're going to do something about it to put these companies to task. Not just, and it's not just the regulations and the, and the staffing, right, of the workers. It's also... It's also like, is Norfolk Sovereign going to pay for what they did? Are they going to pay a penalty? Is someone going to go to prison, right, for what they did? Probably not. Are you going to slap some fine? Because guess what? There are companies in across all industries that cut corners on purpose, pay the fines, because ultimately the profit is worth it to them. So is, you know... Are our elected leaders going to impose the regulations that need to be imposed, pass the laws that need to be passed, and hold those uh, those bad actors to task? That's the question. 508-996-0500. That's how you can end the program. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hey, good evening. I, I thought you raised an interesting point about who's going to hold who to task. Yeah. Thanks. And I'm going to put up uh, as a wise guy uh, the the, um, Trump administration, the Obama administration, and the current administration. One senator or one representative or one president. Did anybody hold anybody up to task in the last 12 years? No. 14 counting to now. Of any significance that we can point to and say, like this. Who's going to hold these people to task like they did in 2014? There's nothing there. There's nothing there because we got a Congress that isn't uh, for the people. And the point is, is these trains, this company in particular, as the record goes way back, longer than my arm. Yeah. You know how sometimes they say, well, this guy's got a criminal record longer than your arm? Yeah. Well, they they borderline criminal also in the way they operate, like... uh, all profit. Raw capitalism sucks. Everybody knows it. Capitalism's good. Raw capitalism, not good. Right. And uh, that's what they represent. Now, uh, the trains have been uh, busting off the tracks for uh, 14, 16 years. Yeah. Okay, so that Trump gets that. Uh, Obama, eight years of that. Vice President Biden gets, a, gets an honorary uh, disappointment. Then. And here we are in the present day. Yeah. And they're pointing and saying, uh, he de- uh, Trump deregulated. Uh, de- uh, yeah, he deregulated. He did something. Y'all did nothing. Yeah. For 14 years. And no one's being held to task on any front. No, what we did, we argued about impeachment, Russian collusion, uh, a lot of whitewash. And that's how trains and companies like this company get to be who they are and make the headlines. It's true. Because we ignore everything, and it's like you say, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and used to joke as, yeah, it's a train. You better get off that track. And uh, this is what we got. We got a, and we got an end accountability going on here, and we got it going on today. We're rehashing something uh, of January 6th. Um, uh, everybody knows uh, that it was a bad optic to put the National Guard, according to uh, Pelosi. It's a bad optic. Okay, so look what you got. 
you know, if we press these trains, people, it's, it's going to be a bad object. What they're going to write about us. And okay, so this is what you get. Right. Okay. Uh, there's no crisis at the border, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, tell me something. Is there anybody in Congress in this century, the 20-something years now, in the new century, that has done anything significant in a positive manner or formed some kind of a bipartisanship on anything like like health? Yeah, I mean, healthcare? there's nothing. there's no, been no major bipartisan reform, really, well, at all. A minor. About a major minor, something that gets our attention. I can't think of anything, yeah, of any significance that as a game changer, whether it's social security, elbowing, whether it's drugs. I mean, there's been major reform laws. It's just they've always been pretty across partisan lines, you know. Well, I like to see some receipts on that because I can say the same thing and agree with you, and I can't produce one name or one senator or one representative or one body or one kind of even a uh, grassroots committee right. that did anything. All I hear about is re-elect me, political conventions, blah, blah, blah. I'm coming up, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we got Liz Warren. Can you tell me any time she brought home the pork? we got a Democratic governor right now in Massachusetts. Uh, any connections there with Biden administration or anything? Well, well, I think you know we're still early. We're still early in the Healy administration. We'll see if uh, we'll see if any. You know, I, I think I think you know we'll, we'll have to. You know, we'll have to wait and, and see what 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 happens. So, well, but, I, I like listen, to, I, I, I'd I, like to say that my gas bill was seven hundred nineteen dollars for the not for a month for two months. Hey, your um, your gas bill is supposed to be going down though. I think. Almost I think all of our gas bills are supposed to be going down. Well, well just pay my bill for me and preach me how I got the receipt for seven nineteen. Listen, I got to take this break, but I appreciate you calling okay. in. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for your time. Bye. I see some calls on the line. I got to take a break. I'll be right back. Fourteen twenty WBSM New Bedford's News Talk Station. Take South Coast tonight with you wherever you go. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or get their podcast on the app at WBSM.com. Now, back to South Coast tonight. Hey, welcome back. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hey, good evening. How are we doing? Good. How's it going? Okay. Hey, I'd like to go back to the uh, rent stabilization uh, proposal by uh, Councillor uh, Burgo. You know, I'm I'm really... uh, enthused by uh, Councilor Burgo and Councilor Ferreira, too, as well. Young guys who are trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And the enthusiasm they have is, is very good, good to, to see and hear. However, how do you think the mayor is going to respond to his proposal? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Well, my idea would be uh, it's New Bedford's the mayor's sandbox, and I don't I, I got a feeling that it seems like everything turns on whether or not the mayor would say okay to this if I get the, the conversation correct, right? That he could veto. Yeah, no, uh, well, he can uh, veto whatever. He, it's a ballot question, so he can veto it. Yes. Um, but they can override the veto. Uh, if, yeah, if they get enough people. But then they, he said something to about the solicitor's office has to go along with it. Too. Yeah, so the solicitor's office could could actually just kick it off the ballot. Yeah, and the solicitor works for the uh, mayor. Mayor, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's going to be a very inter- interesting to see uh, what tack the mayor takes on this, yeah. and whether or not he's 
before that, uh, he might be for just letting the free market do its job and gentrifying the city if that does happen. Uh, so I, I just hope these young here is here we, is the thing though. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, here is the thing: what you can't what you can't override a veto on is a home rule petition. Mm-hmm. So. Even if they can get the ballot question done, there's going to have to be a very strong yes vote. Yeah. Uh, if the mayor's against, if the if the mayor's against it, we yeah. we don't know that he's against it or mm-hmm. not. But if he's against it, there's going to have to be a very strong yes vote because they can. If there's a if there's a home rule petition to get a rent uh, rent stabilization ordinance, yeah. they they absolutely need his vote. They can't override it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now then, the the next question though is is this too, as Chris McCarthy says. As New Bedford goes, so go the suburbs. And I'm, you know, afraid, you know, doing a little extra phrasing like this. I read and heard that out near the Dartmouth uh, motel there that uh, Big Al was at at one time, there were people in Dartmouth living in the in the woods there. Am uh, I correct on that? People in Dartmouth living in the woods? Yeah, in the back there. I had heard something about this. Am I correct on that, or am I wrong? I I like living in, like roughing it in yeah. the woods. Yeah, yeah no, I homeless in Dartmouth. Not oh, only homeless oh, in oh, Bedford, oh, but homeless in Dartmouth. Yeah, that's probably true. And again, since Dartmouth has decided to uh, find any uh, you know business there that has carriages in the community, um, and that they, I mean, it's a good, good large amount of money. I would say. That if people are taking the carriages from Walmart or from Stop and Shop or whatever, uh, they don't have a car. So yeah. that might indicate they might be homeless as well in other right. places. Now, my question to you is then this, too. In Fairhaven, is there any homelessness? That's what I've seen. It's not visible. It's, well, not, it's not salient. Well, what do you mean by that? Can you be more specific? <laughs> as you, New Bedford goes, so go the You suburbs. drive through New Bedford... You can observe homelessness. Oh yes, I know. You drive through Fairhaven. I have not. I have not been able to observe mm-hmm. any sign of obvious homelessness. Mm-hmm. So it's not salient. If it is, if it does exist in Fairhaven, it is not salient. Mm-hmm. Well, again, uh, as uh, I think Mayor Wu said in Boston. Uh, this just isn't Boston's problem. It's a regional problem. It is problem. a regional problem. So how much of well, the problem that New Bedford has can, let's say, blur over into the surrounding Listen, I, I, I'm fully with you on that because, you know, during this whole this whole Rogers School debate, it's been sitting there doing nothing for, for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when there's been a proposal for housing that I thought was pretty good, mm-hmm. there were some reactions to it that were disappointing, and some of them were that were just like, borderline racist well, you and, know, you're talking about the center now yeah now. i'm talking about the center the but center, like yeah. someone literally said in a facebook forum it's like having a melville towers in our quaint little town it's like okay well what would be wrong with that you know like why not have a melville towers in your quaint little town yeah you know? well, there's like, very little i believe uh you know, uh, low-income housing oh, in Fairhaven. Uh, listen, I'm well. I'm way behind on this on this break, but I, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll I know. Talk again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Take care, Marcus. Right, bye. bye. Vote.